Hello and welcome to the Carbitrage Podcast, episode 286. I'm Eric Berger, joined as always by my co-host Ryan Sinitsky. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. Sorry, my headphones are quiet. I was going to say. I was confused. Uh, uh, which one's mine? This one? I don't know. Just try them until you get one that... I think testing, yours, testing, I think yours testing, is this one, maybe. Testing, 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 testing. Ah, there we Did go. Did you find you? Yes. Okay. Now it's too odd. Okay. Right, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, before we get into anything else, patreon.com forward slash carbitrage. On this super cool website, you'll find three open-ended levels of support for listeners like you to support the producers like us, starting at just a buck a month, patreon.com forward slash carbitrage. Uh, on to drinks. I am still working on a Gatorade because I went pretty hard last night. Um, the friend in town, so at the next episode, I'll probably have a beer, but hydrating a little bit right now, and it looks like you've got the... I've got a cherry vanilla Dr. Pepper from one of those Coca-Cola freestyle machines. So, uh, fun fact, you can actually make Coca-Cola freestyle taste like, okay, it's not as good as a McDonald's Coke. But the freestyle machine, the trick is, once you select your pop, without your cup there, you just run it for a second. Oh. Oh. Because it gets all the other other, uh, syrup in it. Yeah. Gets the Some, jungle juice that the previous exactly, team put yeah, in their cup out exactly. of there. Exactly. So that's that's the trick. It's still. It's like I would still rather have a McDonald's Coke, but here I am. I'm drinking this, and uh, the beer I will be having at some point is a Coors, which um, is the coldest beer. Yeah, it's Colorado Cooled, and uh, <laughs> that is fine. Uh, it's not a great beer, but the other option was a Summit of sorts, and I was having a discussion with Darren. Um, at some point in the last month, because he's been in town like every other week, um, that the Summit, uh, it, pretty much everything from Summit is terrible. Okay. They all taste like they were left in like a clear bottle in front of a window for a month before you got it. Okay, yeah. Like, they're permanently skunked, even if it's out of a can, <laughs> say skunked. Like, they have the worst beers. Like, I don't get why people like them. I do like the description of a skunked beer that's never seen the light of day. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exact. It's just a summit. Like they're terrible. Um, so and you didn't specify which summit was in the fridge. Just either. anyone, just like summit. literally, quite literally, they have two beers that are okay. Like if I'm stuck in a bar and my only choices are like Miller or like Budweiser or everything that Summit has on tap, like a Dakota Soul. That uh, sounds badly. Oh, it's a little truck. <laughs> um, a, uh, it'll be, you get either a Dakota Soul, which is okay. It's, like, not great, but, like, it's fine. Uh, or a Slugfest, which is a hazy IPA, which is pretty hard to screw up because it's just, like, okay, remove lead acid taste <laughs> and insert citrus. Wow, this is so little alkaline. Yeah, exactly. Like, just make fruity beer, fruity, hazy beer. Like, that's what you make. And Can you see through it? No, go back to the drawing board. Yeah, so, like, that's the thing. Is it's supposed to be fruity and hazy. Like, that's pretty... It's a pretty easy, like... <laughs> Flavor profile to Yeah, make. <laughs> like, don't screw that up. So, Summit Man should not screw up the most simple of beers. But uh, instead, we decided to... When we were at the Nook, we decided to all have hams. Because hams that's is better. A good decision. Yeah. And also, uh, Dullin's friend had never had a hams because they're from, uh, they live in a really bad state. So <laughs> I won't reiterate, but yeah. He said, yeah, it's a bad place. Like, yeah. It, yeah. I understood when he said the name of the state. Exactly. It was Ohio. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's, uh, that's been my whole uh, two weeks of not drinking uh, Summit, even though I've had multiple bars I've gone to where they are predominantly Summit. Luckily, they have a cheap, shitty beer that I like. So. The keg we have at my parents' house right now is EPA. You, I've been powering through. I wouldn't. I've actually been drinking a lot of canned Coors Light. 
Because that is my alternative. You should get them a keg of old style. I should look into that because it's actually pretty solid. We've rotated out to some interesting stuff before, like hams would be really good too. Ham, hams are old style. You get a keg of hams, you call me. I'll make sure that <laughs> keg is empty. <laughs> we also had PBR once. That was actually not a bad keg. PBR is fine. Yeah, but like, this thing is like PBR is like, they're, they're fine. Right. Th- that's just what they're, it's fine. Like, it's, it's a cheaper beer, but it's like, it's fine. I feel like there's like that group of four beers that everyone just has as like their mid range beer. Some that, people you get gut rot from one of them, so yeah. like you avoid it from that. But like Hams is just like it's a tasty beer, and Old Style yeah. I think is even better. But. Yeah, and, and the, those are the sub premiums that we talked about a while ago. Right. And um, yeah, so Hams and Old Style are like the best sub premiums, and then you have PBR, which is like readily available but kind of mid, and then you have like. Your weird local one that's not that great, like Boxer oh. or Pig's Eye or Schlitz. That's like, making those me are ill all, inside. I, I'm okay hands. with all those. Like Boxer, old uh, Pig's Eye, and Schlitz are fine for me. But um, they're. But that's the thing is, like, I will drink them over. They're on the level of Coors Light. Okay. Like, I'll drink them before I I stoop down to a Budweiser. Boxer does things to my in, insides, which is not good. Iron line stomach. I'm fine. I well, can digest Ryan. quite. Low. It, I'm pretty sure that boxer is made of cheese. So, <laughs> like, it's, and so, like, yeah, it, it, it's just like it, it treats your stomach like that. Me being somebody that's like okay eating cheese, it's not a problem. <laughs> I love cheese for the record, but like boxer for whatever reason, just yeah, not, doesn't doesn't do that to me. All right, well, I mean, well, also my you. my limit in which my stomach gets upset. I discovered last month is the last stab at the Apollo. Oh, oh my. That is the point in which my stomach gets upset. Okay. Did you do the full continuum of sauces or just I I, I skipped uh, so I did I did the first one and I did like the one right before the bomb, the okay. bomb and then the, the last stab at the Apollo. And, and all of them were fine. Mess with you? Yeah. No. Oh, it was the last stab at the Apollo. That was the one that did me in. So I don't know if you've heard Corey's story about when he bought a bottle of the bomb. Yeah. But it sounded, his coworker took a spoonful of it straight Ooh. up and ate it. And like, he thought about having to go to the hospital. Yeah. I'm just like, no, yeah, don't the, do that. You don't want to do that. I, it, it, it did more to my mouth than it did to my tummy. Okay. But, I got you. Uh, yeah. No, I was, uh, a Jana like experience me having a Jana tummy for the first time. And it was just like, yeah. Solidarity. The, apparently it's the last stab the Apollo that upsets my stomach. Like right. I will have anything prior to that and be fine. I wonder so, if it's just an ingredient, because it's clearly not the, the heat, right? I think it's a collection of just being every single hot-ass pepper you can put all together <laughs> into, like, being effectively, like, it, it's not too far off from just pepper spraying your mouth. So, I think that's it. I think I, my stomach would get used to it if I had it semi-regularly. Sure. But, like, I, it's just, I eat so much trash. Like, I regularly eat McDonald's. I regularly eat, like, super spicy Mexican food. I eat cheese as filler throughout the day. Like, I eat so many things that, like, would upset a normal body. Right. That, and then, like, I also have, like, salads and normal healthy food, too. I have just, like, this, like, full gamut of food that I eat. And so that's why I've got this iron-lined stomach that's just fine with whatever I eat. Because, like, I just... It goes through its paces on a regular basis, so it knows what to do. (laughs) It's been conditioned well. Exactly. (laughs) Anyway, let's start with... Did we do Patreon? We did. Okay, yes, let's start with topics. Okay. So, uh, we've been away for a month. I've been extremely busy. So, even if we were actually doing things for 
I, I wouldn't be able to record anyway. Um, also, it's been last week or even two weeks ago. It's been so freaking hot. Yeah, no, this is awful. I have an air conditioned garage now, so. Uh, so, oh, fun fact about my air conditioned garage. Um, the reason I have this is my friend's apartment had the air conditioning unit in it, and the AC unit was too big for his apartment. <laughs> like physically too big for the window, or just sized improperly? Sized improperly. Okay. So, like his his man, the landlord uh, did the measurements and metric. Not inches for BTU. Oh, uh, oh. yes. Oh, right. And so it, they needed a nine thousand BTU air conditioner for his apartment, and yeah. she got a sixteen thousand. That's quite oversized. Yeah. So the sixteen thousand, while it would work immediately, it would cycle on and Short off cycle. like every like five minutes, and the entire apartment was like this humid at all times and cold. Ah, this is gross and terrible. <laughs> So she swapped it out for the correct one. Worked great. And she was going to throw this out. And my friend was like, hey. I happened to make a post on Facebook. like, hey, I'm looking for an air conditioning unit for my garage. And it was like right when I moved into my house. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I've got one that I was about to throw out. And I'm like, oh, cool. I'm looking for 15500 He goes, I have a 16000 And I'm like, that's insane. Why do you have a 16000 BTU? Hence the and story. <laughs> he explains it to me. Oh, that makes sense. All right. And so I put it. I finally got around to putting it in my garage, and it works great. My garage, it within minutes, it is sixty nine degrees inside of it. Nice. Yes, nice. indeed, it is very nice. nice. It's a very nice temperature. I have opened up the dialogue with the AC guy that I use when I don't want to do it to put one in here, because I, just like you, I'm sure, don't appreciate the oppressive heat when we record it in the summer. Nope. This so, is bad. This is bad. Uh, I would say, oh, you give all of that down there. Yeah, I don't know. That's on you, dude. No, it, it'll be fine. I'll I just got lucky with my there. Freeboy uh, 16,000 BTU air conditioner. But anyway, so in my very <laughs> busy time, um, I, among the many things I did, which we'll talk about over the next two episodes, indeed, had the privilege of juxtaposing two absolutely diametrically opposed in every single way vehicles. I would say that's pretty accurate. I got to experience a Mitsubishi iMeve and immediately followed that up with a 1968 Ford Mustang with a very warmed over three, uh, 289. Hell yeah. Um, and a manual transmission. Very good. So the iMeve, I like. I, I cannot say enough how great the iMeve is. Like it, it is objectively, like it was. It, I called it an EV Model T on my Instagram post I made about it. I actually wrote this so I could remember my words for it. And this car is like so wacky because they they widened the entire iMeve several US. inches for the U.S. market. Yeah. And it's like, when you look at the dashboard, inside the dashboard is the Japanese dashboard with the outer dashboard around it. Ah. That's like about a total of, I think, about four inches wider. Um, And then it's also a couple inches longer, too. It's very funny. Like, they kept all the scale, and they just, like, they just, like, put it in CAD, and they did, like, a scale 1.1. Or (laughs) 1.02. It was just in, like, a a, yeah, in, like, a linear dimension, right? No. Oh. Every dimension... Is like two percent bigger. Are the doors different too? Then because every, I think actually the doors are the same. They might have kept the the vehicle height. Okay, but I, I think they extended the the fenders. Okay, the windshield. I know the roof lines changed. I know the the trunk is different. <laughs> the bumpers are different. 
They might have actually what changed the doors, too. What a money black hole. Yeah. And so it's very fascinating because this car is... Um, they did all this work to make it wider. Like, every single piece of the car is wider. But when you... You know the, the little Prindle, the shifter thing? You know yep. how I like... Like Toyotas and like Jags and stuff, they just have that little like weird convoluted. Oh, sort the weird of, like half gate deal. You know, like on Mercedes. Yeah, yeah, where they have that like weird little gate thing. Yes. You know how? What direction do you do you pull the do you move the shifter to get it out of park? So park it's usually sitting on the right. So you pull it left, right? Yeah. Yep. This one's sitting on the left. You pull it right. It's uh, still the right hand drive configuration. Oh. oh. So it's spring-loaded the opposite direction, yes. and the gate is the... Okay. I don't know it, if I it, like that. It, it's very strange. Okay. I got in that. I'm like, wait, what the fuck? And I look down, I go, oh. Probably not going <laughs> to accidentally shift it, at least. Absolutely <laughs> never going to shift that out of the park. But, um, yeah, it was very, very strange. Oh, I should have looked at your second photo. It's in yes, there. Yes, oh, it's okay. right there. See what I mean? Like, it's backwards from every other car in the world. Yeah. Okay, so drive is loaded to the right okay yeah no it's very strange every other car is the other way around and is that just a relic of like a jdm yep okay they, all right they they stretched the car they did everything except for change that that would have taken two parts to correct that yep a spring and a different shroud yeah and because just, that's not yeah. connected to anything correct that's literally connected to a computer board <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't actually do anything um but I have to say, this is easily one of the, if not the single slowest vehicle I've ever driven in my life. Did you ever drive uh, the 240D before it was I was V8? in it. Okay. Was yeah. it slower than that? Yes. Oh, my God. That's like, amazing. It is. I'm not exaggerating. I'm saying this is actually, like, could very well be the slowest vehicle I've ever driven. What is its maximum speed? I have no idea. Okay. But <laughs> not it took me a long time. <laughs> it took me enough time to get to 55. Okay. Like, genuinely, I think my Subaru is faster than this. Oh, my God. Um, it, has, <clears throat> well. it has staggered tire fitment. The front tire size is 145.65 R15. Wow, that's narrow. Yeah. Okay. All right. So 145.15. And the rear is 175.60 R15. Look at that meat. Yeah, that's a and meaty boy. Is it rear-wheel drive? Uh, yes. Excellent. And it's, it's honestly, it is fantastic to drive. Like... I know we've talked about Amiabs a lot in the past because there's a huge never, tuning scene. I've never scene, been right? able to but drive one. Yeah, and same. that's true. They, yeah. they do have a tuning scene, and that was confirmed to me by John, the owner. And he goes, yeah, no, in Australia, like, they do, like, leaf batteries and stuff, and, like, they make them, like, like hilariously quick. Is he going to do any of that or just drive it as is? Uh, it, apparently, there's a, there's a whole bunch of fuckery that's, that has oh. to happen. But he says if anything happens to the battery, yes. Okay. If the battery on this ever goes out, because currently <laughs> it's his daily driver. Okay. Because he just, like... Drives it like from his house to work, occasionally to an airport where he he's got an airplane. He's a big airplane guy. So, also incredible solution for vehicles is he's got like a 1960s like Piper airplane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And this incredible. All right. I mean, incredible human being. Embrace what you love, even if it's completely diametrically different. I mean, that's almost like the Mustang. But this is the thing: is like. Since it has such a low center of gravity, like the center of gravity, I think is like basically on the floor, if not just because of math below it. I was going to say um, it's probably underneath. Yeah, I think it might actually have a negative center of gravity relative to the floor. Um, and so this is the thing: is you can maintain grip perfectly, yeah, or you can get it to break traction. And when you, when it breaks traction, like the ABS system just goes fucking bananas, it's and you actually have to keep the one forty five profile front tires because otherwise the abs will go bananas and just 
it will not cope with having a different tire profile. It's a Murcielago. Yes. Wow. It's just, it's basically, yeah. No, it's a Murcielago, pretty much. Super low center of gravity, rear wheel drive, rear engine. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, gated shifter of sorts. Wide, you know? Yeah, wi- wider than it needs to be. Gated yeah. shifter of sorts. I like um, but it, yeah, like you can, you can break traction in this. And actually, when Darren got to drive it, he drove it in the snow. And he said he was able to use up 45 miles of the range just doing donuts in a parking lot. Very fun. It's very fun to drive. And it's, like, honestly, of any EV I've ever driven, yeah. this is probably the most communicative EV I've ever well, driven. Well, I can see They're pretty lightweight, I think. They are, they? yeah. And, like, you can feel, like, when it's at the edge of traction, yeah. it doesn't feel like it's going to tip over. Like, you know it will. But, like, <laughs> it doesn't feel like it. That's probably why they widened it. Yeah, I think so. Like, <laughs> honestly, I think, like, this would be a hoot to autocross. So you'd have to be careful and, like, mindful of it and know the car. But I think this would be very funny. And I think my favorite part of this is the interior is perfect. What do you mean, perfect? So, um, first off, you can wear like, a top hat in the car, which is great. Um, and you know how I love that. And I love having a huge glass house. And this is basically just a gigantic glass house. I was going to say the belt line looks nice and low. But the back seat is... Just like a Tesla Model S seat, where you got a Tesla, but with exactly double the amount of padding, okay. which is fine for short trips. And I think that any more padding in any of the seats would be a problem. Because hmm. this is a 62-mile range. These seats are comfortable for exactly 62 miles. <laughs> so what you're saying is no accident how they engineered the seats? Yeah, no, this is absolutely... <laughs> like This is probably... This should go down in history as one of the greatest pieces of... Thoughtful engineering. A thoughtful engineering of, like, user experience that I've ever seen. Except because, the Shuttergate. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, the seats specifically. Sure. Because if they were more comfy, like, if these seats were, like, normal car comfy, yeah. you would, like, find yourself in Oatana, out of juice, Oops. with no fast charging capability. <laughs> Like yours? Well, yeah, but this is what like a thirteen kilowatt hour battery, so it, it charges still in takes, like an hour and no. a half. No, no, it oh. t- still takes several hours to charge. Oh, oh that's because it's still it's still early two thousands Mitsubishi I proprietary battery technology. Um, I should look at how many kilowatt the onboard charger is. I'm it's, curious. It's now. a very very strange little vehicle. Um, but yeah, no, I I absolutely love it. Also, the windshield wipers are bespoke to the U.S. model. What like the because the, the wipers blade? go like this. Oh. Because they have this really long passenger side arm. If you actually look closely, you can see the giant arm. Uh, that is unique to the U.S. model. Hmm. Uh, they did not have that in the Japanese one. It's very strange. So was it still two wipers in the Japanese market? Yeah, it okay. was. Just shorter? Just They didn't have the one that goes upright. They just went like this. Okay. <laughs> um, not like this. I do like the... Now they go like this. And... Um, <laughs> That's just like the entire wiper like mechanism yeah. is completely unique to the US market. Mitsubishi like totally like bet the house on this car and this is why That's Mitsubishi like I'm not <laughs> sure if this was a good decision. I don't think it was a good decision. Actually, I will tell you as a fact, this is an objectively terrible decision. Is this an Aventime moment? This is an Aventime that in America is what this is. It's an EV Aventime. It's really wild. Okay, now I want an EV Aventime. Yeah, that's bait. You can get one. It's an IMEV. Um, I would love to drive one, frankly. I if you ever have the chance to do it. It is such a you know how the Mirage puts a smile on your face and you're yeah. driving it in anger? This does that, too. Well, like, I mean, it's slow car fast. And yeah. 
It, it, it's the slowest car, and you never run out of its limit. It's so fun to drive. And you don't run out of its limit with Eco 145s and 175s. Yeah, no, you're, you're never going to like come to a point where... I, I think that it would tip over, but it's like I also haven't driven it at its limit. But like, I think with the Eco 145 tires, which are like $800 to replace because there's one set of tires that fit that particular... Oh, so it's yeah. like a first-gen Insight? Or a uh, i3. Where it's just like there's exactly one set of tires that will fit. A captive market. <laughs> yeah, it's got a very captive market. Um, so how about this Mustang, though, that I got to drive? Well, it is the hottest 289 I've ever been in. Um, Which, I mean, 289s are pretty spicy. Those were like higher compression than the 302s. Yeah, th- this so. one was built. So the thing is, uh, Darren bought this car because um, his friend built it. And the engine was originally made to be in a flat track racer. Sure. You know, those cars are just basically a spoiler with a direct drive 289. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... The ones you have to push start? Yeah, that. <laughs> it, this, the engine was made for one of those. Okay. Um, it's got, like, all these great suspension modifications. It's got, like, the Carroll Shelby front-end realignment uh, system on it, or hmm. kit, or whatever it is. Uh, good struts and everything, wider tires. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, it handles like a normal car. And that's not at all derogatory. Like, it, it, it honestly, it drives like a modern, like a 2023 Corolla, it handles like that. Because if you think of, like, how to have modern car handling in 1968 would be on Mini Cooper, which is terrible to live with sure. by modern standards. Sure. No, this one feels as comfortable as a modern car. And it handles corners like a modern car. So they use, like, sway bars and things like that yeah, instead and of just putting rigid springs in cars? Yeah, <laughs> and so, like, what's really interesting about this is, like, you, whenever I've, every single car of this era I've ever been in, it's either been the Buick where it just understeers quite literally everywhere as a rear-wheel drive vehicle because it's designed to do that. Sure. Um, That's safe, or, right? Yeah, or it's a, <laughs> like, a 70s Mopar where if you even look at a corner, the car's careening off the road. <laughs> um, this the this handles do. super well. And it sounds great. I mean, yeah, obviously, it's a 289. But like, what's really interesting here is that's a 4.7 liter engine, and that will nobody re- ever does that math. Yeah, right? no, I had to do that math. Like, it's a 4.7 liter engine, and that revs faster than most turbocharged one sixes from today. Like, you get into random Mini Fiesta ST, whatever car you have, a EcoBoost, I guess, or not EcoBoost, uh, EcoSport. Eco, what, what's the what, what's the one that GM makes? Eco, oh, the uh, EcoTech. EcoTech is that the one? Is that the one that was in the Cruise? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the that EcoTech one. Family started in like '08, I think. Yeah, so the Cruise, the one four from the Cruise, even like my Fiat, mm-hmm. like this revs faster than that. Is it just a consequence of a lighter flywheel? You think, or no? It's just a very well balanced engine with a perfect carburetor on it. Gotcha. Like it's just so well. No, no stumble. <laughs> like honestly, like the Buick revs. As it is, the Buick opened up with the carburetor it has. It will rev, like, similar to my Fiat. Like, how that's how quickly it will rev sure. in neutral. Which but, is impressive with the torque converter, the size of that thing. Yeah. And so, like, the and, well, the thing is, like, yeah, it, it's it, it's got a huge flywheel on it, though. So it's, like, it keeps a lot of momentum going, which is, like, a strange thing. They go, oh, it has, it has a huge flywheel. Like, no, it actually, like, keeps it like, kind of, like, moving a little bit. Um, right. But, yeah, like, actually... <laughs> Like, when you put lighter flywheels on nail heads, nail heads are really fucking weird engines, because, like... Are they externally balanced? I have no idea. I, I don't think they're... I they are. I wonder... No, I think they're internally balanced. I okay. think they just have giant weights on the inside. 
Um, I wonder if it was done for NVH then, because they were in higher class cars. Well, they were. Um, what they were trying to do is they wanted the car to be as smooth as possible in every way. Yeah. And so they did a lot of like, weird things on nail heads that, like, to just make the car, like, be as luxurious as possible in, like, 1955. So, yeah. it, like, it just. It's like a lot of things where it's like, yeah, it's got super heavy flywheel, still revs fine. Like, it is a six point. 6.3, 6.1 liter or something like that, uh, V8, that 401, you do the math. I think it's more. I think that's 7 liters, isn't it? Might be. But it, it, does, it takes, it, it's, when, you put it, when you put it through like the carburetor size calculators, it says it's supposed to have like a 600 CFM carburetor. That's and that's small. where it's, yeah, but like that's the thing, is like okay. for drivability on a sure. stock cam, yeah. but on a nail head, you throw like a, 850 on it it's fine you can put two 750s on it and it'll be fine like it will take big dual quads yeah you put all the carburetor <laughs> in the world on it and it'll be fine like and it, you won't get any worse fuel economy because the stupid transmission like nail heads are weird but like back to the back to the 289 like this engine is not like my nail head or really any other american engine where it just it revs so freely it is just it it honestly feels like when you get into a modern Mustang and then you get into this, yeah. this feels more modern than a modern Mustang. Are you specifically talking about the powertrain or like powertrain drivability? Interesting. Like, because a modern Mustang, you still run into, you know, every single person flies off the road with them. Cause they have independent rear suspension. that's poorly <laughs> sorted out. Like this has just a beam axle in the back, like, and it's fine. Like it, it's got it's like old four link, like solid rear axle, but that's perfectly tuned. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it, it, ha- it has its limit, but like you know right where that limit's going to be. It doesn't come up on you like on a modern Mustang, where it's just like <laughs> surprise, you have no more traction. Here's a crowd. You don't have a coyote in an eight speed auto that's upshifting Mopar syndrome, mm-hmm. th- careening people into crowds. Exactly. No, and it's also got. This silly long extended Hurst shifter. Hell yes. Which puts the shifter exactly next to the steering wheel. So you have to move your hand exactly about eight inches. Is it the, the Lotus metric where it's a hand Basically, width? yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It is so good, even in fifth gear. Oh, God. Like, it's, it's a perfect shifter. I so, love yeah, no, a big da- old Hurst shifter. Darren got himself a perfect Mustang, and I'm very, very happy for it. it all it had, it, um, it runs a little hot uh, because it's a flat track racer. It does not like sitting in traffic. It will cruise at 80 miles an hour just fine. Um, it probably likes that better, frankly. It actually enjoys that, yes. And it had a fuel leak from a 55-year-old fuel line, which we replaced. Hmm. Um, that's actually that happening works. in this photo. That's why there's a little bucket <laughs> over there. Um, I thought it was just having a little dribble. No, and then apparently water comes out of the instruments when it rains. Instruments being the things in front of you inside the car. Yes. Water comes out of those. Darren's, How does it get in there? We don't know. Okay. Darren discovered that this morning <laughs> when he drove through a, a rainstorm for the first time. He goes, "That's curious." <laughs> he's like, "Sable, say next yep. to him." And he's going like, "What's up?" And Darren's like, "My feet are wet." And he goes, "Oh." And he goes, Where, "Where's the water coming from?" He goes, "From the speedometer." Ah, <laughs> because that's the logical path for water to come from. Yeah, the cowl. no, he sent us a photo. He is his leg will never ever be dry again. Um, you know, I'm honestly not even mad because yeah, his his right foot will never ever be dry. That's that, that's gonna be wet forever. You know what? You need high water pants. Here's, Those were all the rage in the '60s, right? Yeah. If you look, 
He's driving the car along with water coming out of the dashboard. Uh-huh. That is yes, most definitely is. coming out of the dashboard, it not anywhere indeed. else. I, there's not and specifically the instruments, because if you see the passenger, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's not even just the binnacle. It's even the center mount instruments. All of the gauges. Yeah, the gauges are wet. And it's got very wet gauges. I love that the stereo is still working. <laughs> He's uh, drying out a sock. <laughs> For the audio listeners, the man has a hair dryer in the neck of the sock. (laughs) And inside of a shoe. That's an innovative method, frankly, as long as you don't trip the uh, thermal fuse. Darren is an engineer. I know. He's been on the show. It's been a while. These are engineer solutions. I have something that does air and heat. Uh, I'll use that to dry out this thing that needs air and heat. Exactly. It's a simple solution for a simple problem, really. that, that, That has been... Uh, the Mustang versus the IMEV, and uh, they're both great in their own way. Like, honestly, the world would be worse without with either of these cars not existing as they are. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's it. They're both fantastic. Juxtaposing them, they're both 10 out of 10. I am not surprised to hear that the IMEV is that good. I'm a little bit surprised to hear how much you like a first-gen Mustang, but in the I'm guys that it's I'm blown in. away that, like, I, I said in that, in, that, in that Instagram post, I said, also, I, I reached the maximum. Post on like Instagram. <laughs> I, I saw, uh, yeah, I, I've reached a character <laughs> limit. I said, like, I get the hype now. Like, I understand. Like, every single boomer ruins these and does not build them correctly. But now right. I get why people like these Mustangs. Like, they're really cool cars. Yeah. Um, but you don't build a Mustang for drag racing. <sighs> That's not a car to drag race. That's a car you road race. No, Bullet's starting to make more sense now. Yeah, Bullet makes this. sense. Yeah. Like, I get the point of Bullet. Right. Like, yeah. But anyway, like let's hard. talk about your thing. <laughs> So, uh, Tesla, I know, I know, you can sigh now, get it out of the way, but you're very well aware, I'm sure, at this point, of the connector they've been using for charging, both DC and AC, since 2012. The Tesla Roadster did not use it. It Mm -hmm. used a proprietary connector. Speaking of proprietary connectors. Go for it. What's up? um, I learned a cursed thing about South America. Oh, great. (laughs) Every South American country, (laughs) they don't regulate their connectors for EVs. Bro. Like the car side one, yeah, and so like, uh, I, so so BYD is yeah. like big in South America. Yeah, well, they're big everywhere except here. Yeah, oh, so BYD has their BYD connector, the Chinese connector. Interesting. Renault has their European connector, and Tesla has the American connectors. Mm-hmm. And then you still have things like iMeves there with their old school Mitsubishi Wait. connector. So every single. E- in that country, Tesla's used the North American connector? Yes, in South, in South American countries. That is they, cursed. So in South America, there are countries, like, I think it's like Uruguay, has, like, every, they don't, like, every single car has a different connector on it. Holy shit. Imagine if every single car had a different sized filler hole for the gas. <laughs> That's what this is like. It'd have to be, like, a different shape, too, just yeah, to make sure you like, couldn't. one square, like, one circle, but, like, really small. I'm not picturing. One's a triangle, but bigger than the square, and there's a star, and they're all different. I was gonna just say the star. I'm picturing these, like, 3D-printed adapters where you gotta... That's, like, I, I think that's what people are gonna have to do. Like, it's very cursed. So And, like, the insult to injury there, too, is, like, with fuel if they did that hypothetically like but the fluid is the exact same it's compatible and the energy not only the energy but the actual standard behind it the signaling yeah the pinning well, the voltages are all exactly the same across so these connectors. this this is the thing i i learned this uh when i was sitting at ferris i talked to my friend emilio who emilio has a great combination of cars yeah his daily driver is a model three 
and his autocross car is a Lotus Elise. Oh yeah, that's a collection. That's a that's a two car solution right there. It, yeah, I can't fault the Elise. <laughs> no, that, that's a perfect two car solution. You got to get one that has a dent on the back clamshell and it's been written off, and then it's even better. Uh, yeah, no, he. I'm not sure what he did, but his is um, absolutely incredible because. If you ever take a look at Elise, the VIN stickers are made with a off-the-shelf 3D printer. Like it's a very stinky like supercar. I love it a lot. <laughs> I so, knew their VIN stickers were but, shitty, but I've so never actually looked at one. He was going to drive his model. Th- he went to that Saint Pierre Island, that the French island off of New Brunswick, that you can just take a ferry to. Okay, that's how you can get an Aventime. Oh, this I- yeah, 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 yeah. That, I that little. Okay. He was going to take his Tesla there, and then he found out that. And St. Pierre, they use the French connectors. Oh, no. The Type 2s? The Type 2 connectors, yeah. So he would have to get... They do make adapters, but... Yeah, but he doesn't have one immediately on him. And he's like, yes. He goes, <laughs> understandable. He goes that was cursed. <laughs> and he goes, what's even worse is currently there were countries in South America where we are in this hell, and yeah. every car is a different connector. Yeah. I'm picturing this, because, yeah, I mean, Type 2... So at Tesla's in the rest of the world predominantly, apparently yeah. not everywhere, they use a Type 2 connector. So they mm-hmm. don't use the NACS connector that we're used to here, which is just the two big pins. It's like the oval thing. You've seen it. Yeah, but, I know ours, yeah. Um, so Tesla has been using that on all of their vehicles since it's 2012 a great here. Yeah. And it's a really compact connector that can do AC and DC up to like three or 400 kilowatts. But CCS, Combined Charging System, is what everyone else has been using, which is based on the Type 1 connector or the Type 2 connector. So CCS exists in both of these realms. But for this story, I'm specifically talking about the United States, where you look at everything eGMP, you look at Volvo, you look at Jaguar, you look at uh, Zero, the electric motorcycles, everyone uses CCS. It's Mm -hmm. a really big connector, but it's able to handle twice the voltage, twice the amount of, actually four times the amount of wattage. And Why would you not just use that? Literally everyone except for Tesla uses it. But last week, Ford, out of nowhere, announced that they were going to be putting the Tesla NACS connector on the Lightning. Like an Axo CCS? Nope. Instead, Instead of the CCS. But that's worse. It is worse. But their point was like, well, all the Tesla supercharger networks have that connector, and it's smaller, it's more compact. Why don't you just... Provide an adapter on Lightnings. Well, and like a lot of these, um, so in order to get federal funding, we talked about this with the charging network, Tesla had to incorporate some way for other CCS EVs to be able to plug in to the superchargers, and those solutions exist. It's called the Magic Dock. A few of them already have it, and it should be rolling out to more. The problem has been solved, other than Tesla not putting CCS on their cars, which they do in Europe, but they don't here. That is a... It's messed up. No, that's really stupid. Like... There's a reason that Tesla is losing their advantage. Mm-hmm. It's because they make up a spoke connector for one fucking country. Yes. Yeah, and they push it super hard. But like the fact that Ford jumped ship on this, and even the Autopian, like I disagree with this caption. The caption on the article is, Ford is right, Tesla should win the charging port wars. Why their whole point was, it's because it fits anywhere. It's a very, very compact connector. And currently, in the United States of America, half of the new EVs sold are Teslas. So they're like, well, yeah, everyone else uses the CCS connector, but the actual number of electric vehicles sold, NACS, is the most common. So like, why don't we just do that, too, and tip the scales? But there was a response, and I didn't even know this until Scott pointed it out, but there's a, uh, a regulatory body called Charin, which is a con- it's all of the automakers, including Tesla, are in this in the mm. United States, and they set the standards for charging connectors. 
And they're like, you can't actually do this because Tesla NACS is proprietary, it's patented, and it's not a standard. Yeah. So they're telling Ford, sorry guys, you can't do that. So I'm really, really hoping that this is like yeah, the final straw for NACS. Re- yeah, no, fuck NACS. This is stupid. Like, th- this is very reminiscent of 1980s and early 1990s computer gaming. Okay. So... The reason that Roller Coaster Tycoon was so great <laughs> yeah. is it would operate as an operating system. It was written in an assembly. Huh. So when you actually boot it up, yeah. it boots it up and just turns off everything else. It just runs. So like you can get out of it, you can back out of it, but the way that Roller Coaster Tycoon works is that it is made in the next level up from binary. Okay. As you have binary assembly, then like you get to like basic and stuff like that. Sure. Scripted um, languages. Yeah, scripted languages. So, assembly like, like assembly would be the so a binary would be the equivalent of say putting a positive and negative lead on a battery, right? Yeah, yep. So, assembly would be the equivalent of a connector that just has a positive and a negative together, and then when you start getting to like NACS and stuff like that, that's when you start getting into like here is your like fucking creation engine. Or you're like, <laughs> oh no. Or here, here is here's lumberyard. Here, here's frostbite. Like it just looks like oh, weird that's shit. The worst yeah, engine. yeah. Or just like weird shit like that. Um, but like, I do like the game it, engine analogy. That's pretty. good. Yeah, but like in the early '80s or in the early '90s and late '80s, you had the, you had Commodore, you had Atari, yeah. you had Apple, you had IBM. IBM, which is Windows. I, Windows, IBM. Uh, well, uh, no, they had, they had OS2. IBM OS2. Had oh, the, yes. O- OS2. Microsoft. Windows. DOS. Then you had, um, oh, God, what was Indigo made by? Oh, uh, Silicon Image. Uh, yeah, SCI had their own proprietary yeah, OS. Yeah, I forgot about that. Every, that was a Unix OS. Yes. Yeah. The, no, then you had, the, yes, it, that was a Unix OS. Yeah, so you had Unix. And then you had all the ones that are in Britain. Every single British computer right. was different. <laughs> then you had European ones and then Japanese ones. So if you wanted to say, let's say you wanted to release Elder Scrolls Arena, which came out in like 1993, 94, okay. I think. You'd have to release it. You'd have to completely rewrite it from the ground up. Yeah, not even just recompile, but literally no, literally rewrite it. rewrite it. Because these use completely different base programming <laughs> right. languages. And that's kind of what we're having to do here is right. like if you buy a car that's like, or if you're producing a car, yeah. you have to produce it a, a thousand different fucking ways. And if you buy if, if you could feasibly have two EVs in America right here right now that don't use the same connector. And it makes them completely incompatible, even though the underlying yep. charge hardware is identical. Yeah. And it's like at the end of the day, like you still have. Like on a lot of these computers, you still had Intel chip. You yeah. still had motherboard. Right, you it was still, still had, x86. Like, yeah, why can't had, I just leverage that? Yeah, <laughs> but all of these computer manufacturers had their own bespoke operating system, and thank right. God, Windows One. Like, right. right now we're like, okay, you've got Windows and you have and you have Mac, and Windows and Mac are pretty similar. Like, you don't have to like rewrite the world. You just have to right. kind of recompile it to make them. Well, on that same vein, too, like Unix for Mac OS and Linux, which yeah. is still huge, but mostly on the server side, like to your point, there's not much difference there, and they're all running on the same you, underlying you, you hardware. Can, you can still run a, like a C-sharp right. written game Absolutely. in both of these. Yep. But back then, you'd have, you'd have completely different programming languages. Right. Like you couldn't just put basic on all of these. <laughs> you know, I prefer COBOL. Yeah, but I mean, like, <laughs> exactly. Like, 
And so that's why like Roller Coaster Tycoon being written in assembly was just yeah. simple cuz really that cool. was like the very base of like it bypasses all the bullshit. Yeah, like you I it, the guy that wrote it only had to write it once. Right. And then there you go, you're done. Like it was so so much more simple. So that's uh I didn't kinda, know that. That's yeah, really cool. That's kind of where we're at today. Is it, we are just in like early 90s computer hell. And I <laughs> yeah. you know and the thing is is that NACS is Commodore. Because in 1990, the most common computer gaming system was the Commodore 64. Well, and like it was arguably the best piece of hardware, too. Yeah, the Commodore 64 throughout the 80s and early 90s was an incredible 16-bit gaming solution. Yeah. Like, it was a really powerful computer. And like by the time Commodore went away, by the time they like killed the 64, mm-hmm. you had internet, you had... Uh, additional hard drives. You had all sorts of plugins that you could add yeah. onto the basic board, and that's why even today they make aftermarket like Commodore stuff. Like you can buy a brand new Commodore sixty four, yeah. all from used parts. And but like the thing is, is if I was like, man, cool, I got Lemmings for Commodore. I love it. Mom just bought a, a Zenith Data Systems oh. uh, workbook. Cool. I'm gonna put my three and a half floppy into that. And play Lemmings on Mom's work computer, and Mom's work computer ran Microsoft 3.1. That's not compatible with Commodore. You're sure it wasn't on a cassette tape? No, it wouldn't be because later Commodores actually had floppy drives. (laughs) But they also, yes, they did have cassettes. (laughs) Like actual audio cassettes. When I first learned that, I'm like, that is wild. Oh, they had all sorts of crazy shit. I've been like deep diving on like weird old computer stuff because like. (laughs) Because you don't have enough hobbies. Yeah, no, I, that's exactly <laughs> it. Like, eventually, like one of my goals in life is I want to release a game on Commodore. Nice. Like, I really want to make a game on Commodore. I think that'd be very fun. Yeah, something and, that could run natively on twenty or thirty year old hardware would be cool. Yeah, that's what I want to do. Is I want to make a little RPG game that runs on Commodore that's got like a modern kind of like gameplay, but still is like not just like retro looking, but I guess literally on a Commodore and people do make games for Commodore still. Like there's actually been more games released for Commodore since Commodore quit production than were originally made for it. (laughs) So yeah, that that's, that's how I know all this stuff. (laughs) I mean, that's fascinating. I I do know a little bit about the Commodore 64. My dad used to have one way back in the day, but unfortunately it was gotten rid of before I, I really want one. I've been asking Jana for one for Christmas for like for 10 years. I really like quite badly want a Commodore 64. Um, Richard has several, and I'm very jealous of Richard. Richard has an entire Commodore setup with all sorts of different like peripherals. I want to see his computer collection. It, it is awesome. absolutely incredible. Plus, he has an awesome kitty. Uh, several. And chickens. He doesn't just have George. Well, I didn't know that. He's got like eight. I didn't know that. He's got like eight cats. They're all great. They all have different personalities. They're wonderful. Sure do love kitties. So, was, he, was he at Intermark? He was, yes. Yeah, did he bring... Oh, I'm not even going to talk it, about Actually, that. no. We are going to talk about that, because okay. my next story is about Victoria Scott's new article about road tripping across America and (laughs) Richard Fougeau. So Victoria is absolutely one of the most incredible automotive writers I've ever had the pleasure of reading. Um, She wrote for The Drive, Jalopnik, Autopian. Nice. A lot of places like that. That's a hell of a rap sheet in a good way. (laughs) Yes. And so she uh, actually self-published this magazine on her itch.io, which was about driving... Uh, Richard's Peugeot and our uh, mutual friend Kyle's uh, 1981 Oldsmobile Delta 88 diesel. 
Is that the V8 or the V6 diesel? That's a V8 diesel, okay. 350 right. diesel, and Darren quite badly wants that. Oh, so. that car is so stinky. Uh, so that's the thing, is uh, everybody said, like, yeah, this is supposed to be bad. And then, like, Darren and Victoria and everybody were like, no, it's not, actually. It's quite good. Like, they aren't reliable because they get hot. Like, they're, okay. un- they're undercooled. But like, I thought it was block torsion issues because they didn't reinforce. They had all sorts of fucking okay. pro- weird problems. Like the main issue is cooling. Issue. <laughs> okay, um, which is odd because diesels don't tend to run very hot. But the thing is, is when you're running wide open throttle going up an entire mo- mountain, like your EGTs get pretty fucking hot. So you need to crank up the fuel delivery then. Yeah. So, and w- yeah, exactly. But anyway, so um, yeah, she wrote this article about because she's also trans, and. It's very, it's a very interesting read because, um, this is somebody who's like somebody who's like in the queer community, like understands that this is how it is in America. But like, this is a story that isn't often written down is how terrible it is to get across America right now as a trans person. And like Victoria, like she's like, this is probably the last time I'd be able to take a road trip in a very long time. Cause like she's moving out of automotive journalism because if she goes to a press event that's in Florida, yeah, oh. she can, li- or like in like Tennessee, she could literally just get arrested for existing. Yeah. Because we live in a bad country. That's a bad place to fucking live. And a particularly bad time in said bad yeah. country. And, and too. anybody that, um, is that believes that trans people aren't valid and that they should, it should be illegal for them to exist can go ahead and stop listening to our podcast. Cause it's Please. not the place for you. Like you have no place in America. The only place that's for you is probably in the bleach aisle of target. Um, Chug it a lot of it quickly, but yeah. So like Victoria's article is, um, it, it's, it's really, really, really good. And also when she's in it, she, she spends a lot of time talking about the, uh, Peugeot. And the Peugeot is, I'm not exaggerating, like, literally the best Amer- like the best car of that era. Like, a Peugeot 405 MI16 mm-hmm. is objectively better. I'm actually kind of turning two of these. I just realized I have a separate thing about the Peugeot 405-16. It is... That's all good. Roll yeah. it. <laughs> it. It is actually the peak of like front-wheel drive development prior to the ITR. I mean, it again, is this so is good. a 1989 model year. Yes. So, fun fact, they actually did not... They sold, the, they sold them in 1990, but they did not bring a 1990 Peugeot 405 to America. Ah. They didn't sell enough 89. I was going to say, so they sold really well then. So, yeah. was this actually a U.S. market car? Yeah. Oh, It I actually says U.S. model in giant bold letters under the hood. Interesting. Um, I figured this was important because... Nope. No, okay. they sold them here. It was the ah. last Peugeot you could get. You can get a normal vanilla one with the eight valve, or you could get this one. These are your options. Did the MI sixteen? Is I mean, you'll cover this too, but like that's a closet really, really impressive yeah, engine. Yeah, I'll get into more details about that in a little bit here. Um, but yeah, with Victoria's article, um, I, I really I, it's four dollars on her itch.io, um, and I absolutely recommend that everybody reads it um, because it, it goes into how America we are grasping onto this like greatness that we once had whereas what they did is they followed the Milwaukee road, which is an electrified rail line for hmm. most of the rock, the Rocky mountains. It's cool. very interesting. Um, but they've since ripped it out for diesel locomotives and torn everything down. And it kind of got rid of the great thing of America. Sure. 
And yeah, I the think, romance of the early interstate system exactly. and the rail travel. And, I, and, and the whole article is kind of an allegory for kind of what America is becoming, where we are, I think a good way to describe America right now, honestly, is like we are the, do, the 2022 Dodge Challenger. Like Ugh. it is, this is representative of a greatness that one, we once had. Oh, and yeah. it wasn't even that great because it wasn't that great for everyone, for, mind you. Right, but, but like, it was iconic. Yes, it was the iconic American dream. We had this ideal that we were trying to get to right, that right. like wasn't real. Right, but it it is very. But everyone remembers it being real. Yeah, everybody remembers it being real, even though it wasn't real right. for everyone or most people, or or at all potentially. Yeah. At all, really, it was because really, when you look at a lot of the math, it like it wasn't ever really that great. We just like you know, people could afford houses because they were very cheap. They made a an ass load of cheap, shitty houses for everyone. Yeah, not the houses you would want to live in either. Well, I mean, back then, yes, you would because the the rise like suburbs and stuff. But yeah, it's a very, very, very good article. I really think that everybody should read this because. It's kind of what America needs right now is are more stories like what Victoria wrote. Um, it's called The Last Great American Road Trip, uh, and it ends in um, St. Cloud at the most beautiful, uh, brutalist church I've ever seen in my life. That's in St. Cloud? That's called St. John's Abbey. Wow, there's something cool in St. Cloud. Yeah, it is really, really, really good. I recommend going to St. Cloud specifically for that and then leave when you <laughs> Also, you can get really incredible bread there. I've never eaten a loaf of bread straight, in, except for their At bread. At the Abbey? Yeah, because that's how they, they, they sell bread, because monks huh. live there, and they make bread. Well, and they should do a monastery brewery, too, then. Uh, maybe, but uh, they make really good bread. Interesting. Yes, so huh. there you go. Victoria's <laughs> article. Anyway. Excellent. <laughs> Sorry, I got a page back over real quick. Okay, so the ID buzz. Oh, wait, this. wait, wait. No, no, you have the JDM Italian class. Oh, shoot. Yeah. I didn't even see it because there's no link. I'll leave it on this while we, we talk about this. So over the downtime between our last episode and today, I finally locked myself in the garage with my Fiat 124 Spider. Yes. And I decided to install the front mount intercooler kit, which I bought from a notable tuning company for these cars. I've had it for about two years, and I have not found motivation to do this job. And you finally did. I did. So the main reason I haven't touched this for two years is because there is an instructional video that they did, the yeah. seller of this intercooler kit. Who, who, who sold it? Uh, they haven't paid me, so it's Aero Compulsion. But oh, okay, I'm familiar with them. I just wanted, I was curious. Yeah, it's Aero Compulsion. Yeah. Um, it, it's a fine kit. It fit, whatever. But on their page when I bought the flasher, they're like, we can't sell you the next tune up until you fit a front mount to your car. Fine. I bought it two years ago, but I clicked in the bottom of that web page, and there's an edited video of installation. So it cuts out all the time where something isn't happening, and it was 52 minutes long. Okay. A 52-minute instructional video is ridiculously long. I have an engine out Ferrari 355 set that isn't that long. Oh. Anyway, I get I, to I'm this. used to Unreal <laughs> tutorials where they're like three hours and there's a reason they're three hours there's it's a lot like, of steps <laughs> you, you can you can make it shorter right but you make it three hours to make sure that's educational so right. a person remembers how to do it the next sure. time yeah typically All, yeah like, the engine out like nobody with one of those cars is watching it to do it they're just curious what it's like but yeah. anyway i finally get into that project and i realized after i had just removed the two front fender liners and i was 78 fasteners deep 
that the collaboration between Fiat and Mazda on this car was maybe not fully thought out, and it became ever so apparent that this chassis was not designed to have a turbocharger or intercooler piping fit yes. into it at all. The amount of fasteners, blind fasteners, sitting between the subframe and the car that you couldn't really get to with anything except a wrench one twelfth of a turn at a time. Mm. I have no idea how they even assembled these cars. But That's curious. I, I was almost 200 fasteners deep when I had everything finally apart and on the floor. There are 11 junctions between the throttle body and the turbocharger for potential boost leaks. There weren't any, but like a lot of these... Um, they're quick disconnect clamps. Yeah. And there are, there are 11 connections. That was connections. The, the factory one had 11 connections. 11 connections. The new one has four clamps total. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I was actually very impressed with the sizing 11. of the thing. But I got in there, dude, and I'm like, this... I got halfway through the project. And I'm like, that's, I'm, a, that's a reliability mod at that point. Mm, it pretty much is, because the Euro Compulsion kit, it's got a new front mount, and then it's got yeah. two molded silicone hoses that are one piece each. Good. One that goes from the throttle body to the intercooler on the hot side of it, you know, things, and then the other, or sorry, cold side. And then the other one that goes to the Also, the factory intercoolers on Fiat, on these 1.4s, uh, they heat soak pretty quickly. On the 500s, they do, because they're this big. The one on the 124 is Twice huge. Twice as big. It was massive. Yeah. So I think I would have been okay with the tune without it, but... The amount of Mazda would, parts once you finally dug into it, I'm like, yeah, I can tell. When they recommend a part on a tune, yeah. it is not on accident. Like on, at MA Performance, uh, MA Performance used to have their giant like factory um, like body turbos, the like, MA Performance Stage 4 or whatever it was called. Yeah. Um, and those, they would require you that you were making a minimum of 500 horsepower before you put it on with a dyno sheet. And the reason they did that is they used to not do that, and what would happen is the turbo was so big it would stall under factory, um, oh, on under factory power, and people just have big turbo for looks. <laughs> but the thing is, it'd blow up like immediately. Oh, oh, oh! Because it would stall. Interesting, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And it would just fry the turbo, Great. and then yeah, and then they'd be mad. They'd go, "You broke my car," and it's like, "Nope, you broke your car." You didn't read the instructions. Sir. Yeah, and so. Um, yeah, when they say you need to do this intercooler for the next stage of tune, there's a reason for that. There's like that tune might, you know, raise the the intake air temperatures or something. Oh, right? of course it would. Yeah, it's more boost. But I mean, like it'd be to a point where it's like, okay, cool. Now you're melting valves. Like, yeah. I'm sure the multi air loves that. Yeah, exactly. So I think that there's a uh, reason that they ask for that. I genuinely think it's because it would blow apart all the quick disconnects Probably, on the factory yeah. piping. Yeah. So. I would have found that out real quick mm-hmm. from fucking around. Yeah, and you'd be pissed, <laughs> and you'd call them up, and they would tell you to go fuck yourself. I wouldn't call And them. then you'd be extra mad. You'd email them. Correct. You, you would contact them. No, I would buy sorts. the goddamn intercooler and be like, fine. No, but you would contact them, and you'd be, my car broke. And then they'd be like, okay, no. did you get the intercooler? I don't need the intercooler. And I'm like, no, you do, because it broke, and look at you now. No. Because that's how it would have worked. Because it, it would have no. worked. It, it, no, that's how it would have worked for everyone. So. Well, uh, sure, but like, yeah. I would understand that, oh, yeah. wow. No, you, you would, you would understand, pressure. but like, what you would do is you would, you would have put all this on, put everything Correct. back together, and then it would have blown the fuck. And then you're just like, great, cool. Well, now I'm doing the 200 fastener job now instead yeah, of exactly. what I wanted Before, to do it. Yeah. But anyway, a great car, but dude, every project I've done on that thing is just, it's very clear that that, I love the car. But the collab was not well thought out. I, you know, Fiat doesn't think things out ever. Do, 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 do. Like you, you have to remember, like this is Fiat. Like 
Yeah, Mazda only goes so far on this car. Yeah, USA, too. Yeah, like, Mazda only goes so far on this car. The rest of this will be Fiat. And, you know, as much as I love Fiat... Indeed. There are things that are very Italian on the car. The air conditioner is Italian. Correct. The side skirts on the 500 are Italian. The seating position... Italian. Yes, the seating position's Italian. Like, there's a lot of shit on this car. The uh, the plastic um, cover for the steering column, mm-hmm. Italian. Oh, yes. I had mine replaced when I first got the car, and it's already broken again, because mm-hmm. they're always broken. Yep. So they just always, They're always wiggling. However, I'm very happy that I was able to convince Ford to put a new one on for me. And they're like, it's not broken. I, and I was on the... I, I drove it up, and then I go... <laughs> nope, shouldn't be like that. <laughs> and so they replaced it, and then I immediately hit it with my knee like the third time I got in the car and broke it again. Damn it! So, yeah, the armrest and the driver's seat <clears throat> Italian, especially the pre twenty fourteen one. Yes, yeah. my armrest. Yep, because yep. I have a spare one, and I don't want to dig into getting it on because nope. I don't know how the fuck to do it. But I do have a spare one for when I'm ready to do that. Uh, now I've got air conditioning in my garage. I might do that. But well, now you can, so yes. you don't have to. Oh, I'd be so excited to do a coolant flush on the Buick and this air conditioner. But anyway, I really need to get AC in. Yes, here. I'm glad that you finally put your uh, intercooler on. Thank you, thank you. So let's get into more, some more detail about this 405 and my 16. Indeed, that earlier uh, because Richard is a wonderful human being. He is indeed. And Richard let me drive their uh, 405 my 16, and I was trying to describe this to. Um, to Chris Drews. He didn't quite fully understand what I meant by how great this is, but if they made an Accord SI of like the CB generation, that's yeah. how this feels. And like when I say that, it's like it is more comfortable to live with like when driving normally than a Civic. Like it's a genuinely comfortable car to live well, it's, with. It's French. Yeah. But it's the, the thing, thing is, well. when you like, when, when you like go wide open throttle, you, you like the first like four thousand RPM. It's a normal car of that era. Like some people would say, slow by modern standards. Sure, it's not really. It's fine. It's actually pretty stout. Are these like 140, modern, 150 horsepower? I think they're one. Uh, I would Google it. I can. Google I want to say one forty-seven. Um, but after about five thousand RPM, there's another engine. Like it feels like it has a VTEC crossover, but it doesn't. Okay, so there's it, no there's no variable change, valve no timing. Nothing? No, the the fanciest thing on the engine is it's got a magnesium valve cover. Oh yeah, very that's cool. Actually, very avant garde yes. for eighty nine. Um, it is one hundred and fifty horsepower. Yeah, one fifty, and from four thousand to seven thousand, it just keeps pulling. Seven thousand RPM redline is also very impressive. Yeah, for that era. And yeah, big time. I drove that. I got out and I said, "Who the fuck bought an E30?" <laughs> like, <laughs> well, somebody that wanted a rear wheel drive. But, but no, I mean, like, I, I'm like, I drove this car. I'm like, in 1990, if you would put me behind a 325IS and this, I would take this any day. And I genuinely think that, like, there would the Japanese tuner market would have not taken off if they had more than 151 Peugeot dealers in the United States. And Which sold is, more than the like eight units they yeah, probably exactly. sold in 1989. Yeah, they did not sell very many at all. Um, That's truly unfortunate because I mean the 505 it was actually so good sold it's, all right. Yeah, it, well, and the initially. 505 was out forever. Right, right. but uh, the 405 <laughs> was just so good. Mm-hmm. Like, and there were so many like interesting things. There's eight ports on the cylinder head. Mm-hmm. There's one port for each valve. Mm-hmm. So the four cylinder engine, 
has eight uh, tubular runners, runners mm-hmm. on the exhaust manifold. Yeah, it's super cool. So fucking cool. You only see that on like super high and stuff. Like the 2.516 Cosworth Mercedes yeah. had that kind of stuff. It's very, very uncommon. Yeah, and, and, or apparently a Peugeot 405 MI16. Yeah, you know, an everyday uh, which car. Which is also a 1.9 liter engine. It was 16 valves. That's why the 16's there. Oh, yeah, I put two and two together yes. there. But, um, and, and also, can we talk about how French the 1.9 liter displacement is? Yes, that's a very French <laughs> displacement. Is that a 2.0? Like, no, it's a 1.9. Yeah, and so it um, it has the like a torsion beam rear suspension. Sure. Like uh, the Fiat? Yeah. It, it, well, no, it's um, similar to like a Porsche of that era. Oh, so it's got separate torsion bars. Yes. Oh, so it's independent. Independent torsion. Ooh, that's yeah. cool. Very cool. Did not know that. And no coil spring in the roof. Hmm. Very interesting. Hmm. Um, and the it's a it's a fascinating vehicle, and there's so many very French things that happen on it. So, for instance, uh, Richard's been digging into this. Um, first off, do. it has uh, Vallejo infrared central locking. That's cool. Yes, and Richard, straight out of the R129. Yes, and Richard has to <laughs> basically stand on top of the car to make it work, and because it's, it's got these like very 1990s batteries in it that need to like be replaced. I told Richard, I'm like, I feel like you could probably just replace the battery with another battery. It'd probably work from like, across the world. He goes, yeah. he goes, yeah. Back when I had like my Zantia, because he had a Citroen Zantia, which is the same platform as this. Um, he's like back when my my Zantia and the central locking was working perfectly. It's still like only ten feet away. <laughs> oh yeah, so it was never great. I do feel like the lenses aren't like super UV stable, so I think there's a lot yeah, of like exactly. diffusion happening in there. But, yeah, but yeah, um, the SL has that, and it's he he yeah. also found out that the uh, the lower torque mount is absolutely the most cursed thing. So um, the the dog bone mount. Okay, at the bottom. sure. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah okay. the, the, It's called technically called lower torque mount. Sure. But the lower torque mount is, you know, dog bone mount, as you could find on a Volkswagen, except uh, on this, it has equal length axles. So that means it's got an intermediate shaft. And so, you know, the intermediate shaft needs to be secured to the engine somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with a little bearing plate usually. Yeah, so what better place to do it than put it through the existing piece of metal that's there that would make sense. So you don't have to make an extra component, right? Sure. Yeah, so now the engine mount is also part of the intermediate shaft. So you can't just replace the engine mount. That's right there. You have to pull the entire axle apart. Which involves taking the entire suspension on one side of the car yes. apart, I'm sure, right? Yep. Great. To replace the dog mode mount, which is three bolts. Awesome. Brilliant. Ah! Yes. Ah! <laughs> very French. There's some very French things on this car. It, was it designed before CAD, too. Like, somebody thought about that. Yeah, no, it, it's uh, very interesting. Also, if you see that Richard sitting in the car, he, they, were, they, shouldn't, they really shouldn't be doing that because... Um, the hood is so thin that there's actually a handprint from closing the hood. You're supposed to just let it drop. Oh, oh yeah. Well, I mean, that but checks. all the metal in the car is so thin. Like, I was feeling between the fenders, and it's like, literally, yeah, feel that. It's about that thick. So that's like 30 gauge or something? Yeah. That's, that's not great. Yeah, no. Is but, it, it must be lightweight, then. Oh, it weighs nothing at all. Perfect. No, it weighs like 2,200 pounds, I think, oh 23, which is like incredible for a midsize sedan of that era. Yeah, and that's and with 150, 150 horse. horsepower. That's like a 300 horsepower modern car. Yeah, no, is... it's a good car. Like, it's incredible to drive. And like, 
at, like literally getting out of this, I go, yeah, I don't get the appeal of why somebody would drive this and they go, I'm going to get an E30. Again, like, that's got to be I, the rear wheel drive. I, again, I understand, and by modern context, that an E30 is a better car. But well, like, I'm not saying it's a better car. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, like, I would understand why somebody would buy it by modern. But okay. if you're test driving two cars back to back, oh yeah, yeah, in 1990, and you don't right. care about what's front wheel drive, what's rear wheel drive, right. Like the driving dynamics of the two cars, stock for stock, yep. absolutely. Why would you not buy the Peugeot? Like this to an E30 or to a Civic Si is what the 505 was to a W123 mm-hmm. or a Volvo 240. Yeah, like it is just infinitely better for the exact same price. Point. And yet nobody bought them. Yeah, it's because they had 151 dealers right. and nobody knew what to do with it. Uh, I'm actually looking up P E U G E O T. 405 MI16 curb weight. Yeah, I probably should have just clicked into that link where I got the uh, the power figure. But it said it says 2700, but that doesn't seem right. That does 23. Seem... There we go. Okay. Yep. So it's 2392 for that for a four-door sedan with a good powertrain. That's pretty good. Yes, that's, that's very good. very very good. Especially a comfy one at that. Incredibly comfy. It was honestly one of the best back seats I've ever been in. Like just like it was such a perfect back seat. Like the back seats are just like 1990s couch comfy. Oh yeah, B-body comfy back mm. seats, and the front seats are like E30 um, sport front seats. Nice, like quality of seat. It's just the perfect front seat, perfect back seat. It wouldn't Iconic. surprise me if they're like Recaro frames and then French put comfy stuff on. Yeah, them or honestly, but... um, the. <laughs> Window switches are the same gigantic switches from uh, 505, so you could operate them while wearing, like... Gloves. Not just a glove, like an (laughs) iron gauntlet you could operate them. I just bump it with my chastity belt. Yeah, 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 exactly. Absolutely incredible. So if you ever have a chance to drive a 405 in my 16 or buy one, do it. They are so good. Um, It is a bit of a shame that... The, the effort was, I'm going to say the efforts have always been a little bit half-hearted when French cars have been brought here yeah. to market them, to get people to buy them, because, yeah. It's uh, so good. They've always been comfortable. They've always been interesting, but they haven't always been like great for powertrains. And this, and again, in 89. It was a perfect powertrain. Like It I'm, was a really, really, this is like when like Peugeot at their peak. And I'm guessing it's Bosch fuel injection, so it's probably yeah, it's good. electronic fuel injection. It's fine. It's just normal electronic fuel injection. It's it, a car. <laughs> it is a very good car, and it is absolutely absolutely brilliant to drive. Everything ahead of it, ahead of the A pillar, looks just like a 205. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a, it's such a perfect vehicle. Oh yeah, in the rearview mirror, you would be really hard pressed to tell it's not yeah. a late 205 GTI. Yeah, it's so good. It's, oh, I absolutely love it. So yeah, I'm. I'm very upset that I don't currently own a French car that was sold in America. I think I'm going to have to get that at some point because every single one I've been in has been brilliant. Like, and I'm not afraid to say a car's shit, but like these two cars, like for what they've done, like what their niche was, have been objectively the best version of that. Like if I were to buy a car at random in Europe today, not knowing anything European market without doing any research, the first three brands I'd go to are Peugeot, Citroen, and Renault, and then see what the best thing is there. Peugeot I probably would never buy today because they're terrible today. But back then, the thing is, this is Peugeot. They Peugeot made a perfect car, and then they decided, ah, we're done with that. We are going to go make some rubbish, and they made, like, the 1007. Oh, uh, man. Yeah. But, like... You know, this is also the same company that, like, previously was making pepper mills, and they're like, now we're going to make bicycles. Well, 
I mean, yeah, look at pretty much every major Japanese auto manufacturer. I mean, a lot of people came from completely different diverse <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, like, Peugeot, the thing is, is like, Toyota didn't go back to making textiles. Cor- cor- correct. So Peugeot yeah. has just, like, 180 their business on several accounts. They have a ceramics division. I want a Peugeot pepper mill now. Yeah, they're great. I currently have a Peugeot ceramic uh, bowl Very that nice. I got for my wedding. It's I've great. Seen I made those. They're so good. <laughs> I so jumped over the bowl. They're, like, they're great. The they're they're like la croissant. <laughs> oh yeah, but they're dishwasher safe. D- uh, la croissant is not dishwasher no, safe. Oops, because yeah, <laughs> they are not supposed <laughs> to be in the dishwasher. Cause they're made of, they're made of cast iron. Da, da, That's why da, 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 these da, da, are made of ceramic, so you can put them in the dishwasher. Very good. They're brilliant. I did not know that. Yeah, they're very, very, very good. I absolutely <laughs> recommend. If you ever can find a like, Peugeot dishware, get it. All right, well, keep an eye. Everything I mean, Peugeot makes is great. Well, made. Made. I, you know, honestly, I haven't people, driven anything modern. Th- this is the thing. Everybody said the Twingo is shit, but Darren said it was great. So, I, I trust Darren's take. How can every, it not be good? Every single European person says a, Peugeot, a, a Renault Twingo is a piece of shit. Well, it's because they're used to them. Yeah, and well, this is my thing is like, if I were to get into. I'm just going to Google Peugeot current vehicles. What if you can still get the uh, cactus? If I were to get into a Peugeot uh, 208. Okay. And then I were to get into a Chevy Cruze and then a Ford Fusion. I'm pretty sure it would probably be the best part. I'm guessing the so. Better, the better of those. Yeah. But, I mean, that's the thing. I have not... I would give them enough benefit of the doubt that I would give them a crack. Like, because that's the thing. is like, people also say cars are bad that aren't, aren't bad. Also... Like, everybody says a Mirage is terrible, and I love it. They could still be correct, but they're wrong, because we've established this so many times, and I keep being an advocate for it. Worse cars are better. Yeah. No, like... I want something with quirks. Yeah, no, like, like it could be just like a like a mirage effect where it's just like everyone yeah. says it's shitty because they because they wanted to have three hundred horsepower. Yeah, they're looking at a mirage through the lens of somebody that really wants a Hellcat. I'm like I don't want a Hellcat. No, God, no. So I wa- I love going ten tenths and like three cylinder sounds amazing in that thing. We're not getting on a mirage rant, but yeah, but like that's the thing is like there's like. There's, I just don't believe people when they say it's a bad car. Well, there's technically bad, and then there's bad, bad. Like, there's objectively bad and technically bad. Correct. Which is the, where the term stinky comes from. And this one's such a, uh, such a proponent of this term, where stinky is yeah. something that, on paper, should not be desirable. But is great. Like, a stinky car is like... A mirage. A, yeah, a mirage. Or, like, is a modern stinky car. Or, like, a stinky car is like Darren's Mustang, where it looks like hell, but it's great. Like... Stinky's not a bad thing. Stinky's an endearing term. Like Stinky's That's like ah, yes. Like Stinky's very good. Like it's enjoyable. It's got weird things. Like the stupid Vallejo infrared oh, central yeah. locking. That's stinky. Like Stinky's not a bad thing at all. Whereas you have something that's technically bad, like an R fifty six Mini Cooper S. Yes, so horrible car. Absolutely stinky trash. Okay, anyway, let's talk about that. Right. So uh, Scott, I believe, is even watching our oldest and uh, most faithful patron, but he has. Since 2019, been on the local dealerships list for an ID Buzz. And Does he still really want that? Yeah, and he actually went in last week and put money down because now he's allowed to do that, even though he's in the middle of a legal lawsuit that involves the service department at that same dealership for the ID4 and the Lemon stuff, which we'll get to once it's finally culminated. But just this last week, hi, hello, 
Hello, Scott. Hello. He's in chat. Uh, Near, but not in St. Cloud. The, I think everybody should go. Oh, he's talking about where the... Um, oh, yes, it is not immediately. It, it is like across the highway from St. Cloud, yes. Oh, well, that's probably a better spot. It, it is a 10-minute drive. Oh, it is, it's a very nice 10-minute drive, though. And there's a good brewery, actually. Um, or not uh, uh, cedar... Uh, Cidery, cidery, oh, okay. uh, yeah, cider distillery, that's... cider brewery. <laughs> I'll go cidery. I have no idea. A cidery. There's a good cider brewer um, that is immediately outside of like their like campus. Okay. So we could actually make a little trip out to go. It's an easy to, enough drive, I suppose. Yeah, to St. John's Abbey. Go get some bread. I think they're open to like four serving bread, and it's like an hour drive. And yeah, it's great. It's a very good place to go. I recommend it. It's yeah, St. Cloud's an easy drive. Everyone drives a thousand yeah. miles an hour anyway. Um, but last week, VW finally brought the global spec long wheelbase one out. We've never seen any real details on the long wheelbase mm-hmm. one, which is what we're getting here. Yep, and that's the one that he will inevitably get. However, although it looks fine, uh, we learned a few things that aren't necessarily fantastic, such as one being the battery was supposed to be in the one hundred and ten to one hundred and twenty kilowatt hour sizing range yes. and you kind of need that for a vehicle that isn't going to be efficient yes turns out it's going to have a 91 kilowatt hour gross battery which is 84 or 85 kilowatt hours usable and how many miles does that? Uh, it, it depends because there's a new electric powertrain that's supposed to be more efficient but if it gets id4 efficiency or worse that's like two 2.2 miles per kilowatt hour so you're talking 160 170 miles that's not great and that's a lot of juice this is a big ass van this is gonna be used for road trips i need uh-huh. to amend that yeah so i'm hoping that that's drag is 0.29 at least yeah that's the frontal area though that's that's not a bad drag coefficient and i mean it is slippery looking um but scott was also saying that the allocations apparently they come to the dealer there's only a fixed n- uh, number of each color scheme that will be brought into the states so picking one that isn't necessarily the most popular combination might give you a better shot of getting an allocation. No. So he's planning to get the orange and white, the creamsicle, which I think that's is That's the correct one. But the, the lime and white apparently is the most popular because that's what was always shown off initially. That, the lime and white prototypes. sounds terrible. I mean, I'd be fine with either one. But anyway, I was a little bit let down by the battery. It will mean that it's also going to be less expensive, which... I mean, take that for what it's worth. I don't even know if it's going to be... I assume it won't be eligible for the tax credit, so things like that. But at least... Actually, there was a new wheel that was shown off, too. I I just don't trust them. Like, they're very cute and all, but I don't know. Oh, it's going to be a terrible car. It's going to, I'm sure, get lemoned out. But, you know... At least I'll have it. I don't know. I, I, I like how I mean, it looks. I'm, I'm happy, I'm happy he'll finally get his car that he's wanted for so long. Well, I mean, how many times this thing's been pushed back? We've been talking about the buzz since pretty much the beginning of Motor Cult. Let alone wow, that is quite a good heat pump now. Yeah, that, okay. I forgot about that, so that's good. No credit. Made in Germany. Oh, it has a heat pump, too. Yeah, that oh. is good. So that will help efficiency quite a bit, because where we found the ID4 really falling short was anything that involved the heater. Uh, once you actually got into the warmer weather, it was very similar to the Model S, so I think closer to 3, or maybe even a little bit above 3 miles per I'm kilowatt I'm looking hour. for cars with equivalent drag coefficients, so you can get like a ballpark of... Ah, yes, that is, as uh, has the same drag coefficient as a Subaru, a Subaru XT6. Which is a very aerodynamic car from the yes. 80s? Yes, it is. Okay, perfect. A Peugeot 207. Ah. A Renault 1916 valve. Ooh. Yes. A Toyota Camry from 1996. Wow, all of these things are going to be more reliable. A 2003 through 2009 Toyota Sienna. The oh, Mark wow. IV Volkswagen Jetta. I'm surprised the Sienna was that good. Yeah, those are very interesting vehicles. Um, yeah, he cares. He likes the electroluminescent Fiat roof Tipo. or whatever. Speaking of Fiat Tipo, next episode. 
<laughs> so cute. Ah, yes. The correct CRX. A 1988 CRX HF. So basically, we're looking at a much less reliable somehow. Oh, wow. Uh, Lexus CRX. LS400. That was an aerodynamic car. That was 0.29 drag coefficient. Excellent. That was yeah. very impressive back I'm, in the uh, time. All these cars have been naming off of a 0.29 drag coefficient. A Neo ES8. The Sienna is probably Scala. the most comparable because it's got a similar frontal area, I'd imagine. A Paragua Beza. Each half of the third row seat is 62 pounds. That's still pretty heavy, but manageable from an able-bodied person like yourself. I'm, I regret to inform you that if you wanted a, more, uh, drag, a lower drag coefficient, you could get a Chrysler Concorde. I would that is point two eight point nine or point two eight nine. But what does that do efficiency wise? You see, uh, yeah, there's a transmission that lets you down there. Oh my god! Oh yeah, or the three five. The three five might also bite the bullet. I still can't believe Tina's driving her three hundred. She still has that car. Jesus Christ! Yeah, it's a piece of crap. That's the longest lasting three hundred ever. It grew is, of. and oh my goodness, what a piece of junk! Two hundred kilowatt charging. Yeah, that's still not impressive these days. In fact, that's actually bad. For I'm a tra- modern EV that's got a battery that size, I would expect at least being able to saturate at some point in the charge curve 350 kilowatts. That being said, if it can do 200 up to like 70 or 80 percent SOC, I'd say that that's actually a pretty good development. But you could get a Chipeng, uh P7, which is a 0.236 drag coefficient. That's like a Chinese version of a Lucid Air. Perfect. Wish.com Lucid Air. There you yeah, go. There you go. Or a Tatra T77A. Ooh. Is 0.21. That, is, yo, well, that's the same as the 850. That's the one that's in the... Uh, that's the, the one that's in the... MIA? Yeah, MIA. Cool, I like T77, that. T77, that's a good car. I don't know. The Buzz... I'm glad we finally have details on the LWB. I'm very disappointed by the battery. Scott's mentioning it's a 400-volt system, not an 800-volt. So that seems odd for a, you know, a brand-new vehicle, but it is based on a platform that's now four years old, so I kind of get it. I don't know. It's a great-looking vehicle. I'm sure it's going to be very practical for his uses. You know, covering it, 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 well, it also it looks good. So it's on when it's you know in the driveway on its way to be limbed out. Scott yeah. can at least enjoy the aesthetic of it. Yeah, it's going to look. It's going to be a great lawn ornament. Yeah. No. Or you know what? I'm rooting for Scott. I hope I'm wrong. But you're not going to be wrong. I don't see myself being wrong. Especially I want to be. I wish I was. I don't. I don't. I I, I. I. I hate being right when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, but so, you are. You know, so. It's, it's going to get lemoned out. I don't know. Yeah, it's still MEB architecture. I don't know. It, it should be fine. I'm curious to see what the, the technical updates will be in the next couple of years after that. He had mentioned if it does get lemoned, at least he'll be you know two years further down the road for another, you know, like a Westphalia buzz or something like that, which would be interesting. So we'll see. Uh, we'll follow the saga. But they'll probably get Winnebago, actually, because they can't import the Westie. Oh, you're right. But the, Winneba- the Winnebago the is modified in America. That's actually why later model... Uh, Eurovans were Winnebago's, not Westies. Like I didn't last, even know that. Yeah, the very last Eurovan campers were Winnebago's. I wonder if that complication of like basically reproducing it's like ATS and convertibles back in the day. I wonder yeah. if that would make it a U.S. vehicle, so it'd be eligible for. It might, it might actually probably would be yeah. credits or that, something like that. Or that if, that would actually probably work. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Well, in a couple of years, when this one gets lemoned out. There you go. We'll find out. Yeah, you'll find out. There yeah, you go. No, I mean, to Scott's point, too, again, this this is the first model year of their new 280 horsepower rear axle instead of the 204 horsepower one. So there's going to be problems, I'm sure, with that. Oh, I'm sure it'll probably just like, blast through wheel bearings and suspension bushings <sighs> and just be generally broken most 30 gauge wire, I'm sure it's going to be somewhere in there, too. Oh, guaranteed. It'll be yep. great. All right. Well, All right. awesome. Bye. Cool. Thanks, everybody. I'm going to go stand.